Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up! What exactly is technical evangelism? At GitLab, it's sharing opinions on what's going on in the community as technologists, helping each other to collectively move forward to build better, ship better, and operationalize better, so software is more responsive to customer needs. That's according to Ledge's guest, Priyanka Sharma. The great thing about evangelists, they have opinions, and they can give us the historical context necessary to make sense of the rapid pace of change in our industry. In this episode, Priyanka shares her thoughts on overtooling, how to handle the operations burdens of cloud and microservices efforts, and how to adjust process components for scale. Then she jumps into how to deal with media overload when you have a job that requires you to be up to date on tech trends. So if you don't mind, would you just give a little background story of yourself and your work, you know, so the audience can uh, get to know you a little bit? Yes, absolutely, Lesh. So uh, as I said, I'm Priyanka and I'm director of technical evangelism at GitLab. Um, my, my team's focus is to build the technical thought leadership, the stories around the latest technology trends, what are the best ways people are developing developing software, how are they operationalizing it, having conversations around that in uh, in the public arena, so to speak, even though being GitLab, everything's public, so whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I do. Uh, I've been here about a year and I come from um, the infrastructure world. I was, I've been involved with cloud native technologies for a while. I um, was uh, one of the early people on the Open Tracing project, which was the third to join the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Um, for folks who may not know the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, it's the home for Kubernetes, which is uh, container or- orchestration, and is it's pretty loved at this point, I would say. So, uh, and I oh, speaking of, I also serve on the board of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. All right. So you have nothing going on. You're just like not busy at all. Super chill. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we were talking a little bit off mic. You know, I I think it's always useful for people to to hear perspectives on developer advocacy. Mm -hmm. Right. And and even that, you know, hey, there's DevRel, there's developer advocacy, you know, thought leadership. uh, You know, how does all this fit together? Because uh, many of you are, you know, kind of in charge of or stewarding like the most important technologies like like Kubernetes, right? Or, you know, like any number of things like that we, all this stuff gets touched and Mm -hmm. maybe everybody doesn't know kind of where things fall down in the, you know, sort of the dev advocacy and dev rel kind of worlds. I'd love if you just kind of give some structure to that. Yes, absolutely. So uh, many companies uh, call my team's role, uh, like developer advocacy, developer relations. At GitLab, we we call it technical evangelism because the focus is on evangelizing the technology story, right? Um, we have a separate dev- DevRel developer relations team, and their focus is on contrib- adding contributors to GitLab, uh, working with the open source communities to build that up. Um, and so they go wide in the community, while technical evangelism, we are very focused. We're focused on like the key technology stories and topics that are important to the ecosystem right now. And we go deep into, um, you know, uh, technical talks, demos, blog posts, 
even conversations like these. So um, that's kind of the difference in the GitLab world. In general, in in the ecosystem right now, developer advocacy or technical evangelism is really about having uh, sharing opinions on what's going on in our community as um, as technologists and helping each other collectively move us forward so that we build better, we ship better, we uh, operationalize better so that software is more responsive to the customers. Right, right, sure. So, okay, so what what are the key trends and what are your opinions about that? <laughs> so how much time do we got? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, okay, but I, I hear you. Um, key trends and my opinions on them. So uh, I think at this point, the cloud native ecosystem has really established itself. Three years ago, when I was starting out in this world, Kubernetes had just become like the the darling. Um, and there was a lot of momentum. And I think something that happened is, so Kubernetes comes along, it's about container orchestration, it enables portability. Um, and because of the way it, it operate, operationalizes things, it enables microservices development. So people were breaking up their monolith. People were shifting to the cloud and they started breaking things up into uh, services, um, all the while using Kubernetes. And I think what folks realize is like, yes, building, uh, breaking a monolith, monolith is good because you can ship faster. You can like, you know, uh, also scale based on where is the load going, where is the traffic, so you don't have to think of the entire huge behemoth. So that's good. However, we were used to operationalizing monoliths. We were used to, you know, standing them up, keeping the traffic coming, keeping latency low, things like that. The things that traditional IT, sysadmin, or uh, ops people used to think about, those were suddenly problematic once you were on microservices, because this, just because it's a new paradigm, right? And I think we as a community, a technical community, jumped in to solve those problems. I was part of that that movement with the open tracing project where we wanted to make distributed tracing accessible to everybody so that they can visualize complex software systems. Um, I think we like overdid it a little bit. <laughs> and so like if you look at the CNCF landscape, it's so many logos. You, you can't really parse anymore with the human eye about like what's going on, what's good, what's a good project to use, what's a good technology to go for. It's a lot, like a lot, too many options. Um, and I think we're seeing an impact of that. Um, at GitLab, we work with uh, over 100,000 enterprises, right? And so we hear the story from the horse's mouth. And a lot of it is like, yes, I want to shift less. Yes, I want to break up into microservices. But hey, the operational burden here is crazy. And by the way, when I try to solve this operational burden with tools, there's like suddenly I have like 20 or 100 tools and that's its own burden. So what we've seen is that there's a lot going on and it behooves enterprises to actually hold up and think on what your tool chain should be before just like buying everything or like, using every project. Um, so GitLab's philosophy is very much of a single application that does the whole DevSecOps lifecycle. Um, and that's one way to approach it. In general, you don't have to just use one product, but I do support um, a sort of like a cohesive strategy around tooling where you have one major you know, touch point that contains a lot of the, your processes. And then you have special sharp tools that integrate into that um, 
so that everything stays in sync and you have as little, um, you know, context switches between tools. You have as little, you know, time spent integrating stuff and all that. So that's kind of something I've seen happen. And it's been interesting because first came Kubernetes and the like rush with microservices, then the horror around operationalization. Then suddenly we had all these options and sharp tools. People got really excited. And at that time, already GitLab was saying, this is too much. You need to have a cohesive approach. And at that time, people were like, no, no, the sharpest tool possible. And I, I totally get that. I was on that fence. Um, and now the whole world is suddenly shifting to the GitLab message. You like Even like, you know, our competitors, like there's the Azure DevOps story now. Uh, GitHub had GitHub Actions. So I think the world is coming around to like, oh, yeah, there's something to this point of you know, a streamlined tool chain, maybe a single application. So that's kind of the trends I'm seeing. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get it. And, you know, from our seat, you know, in the staffing world, uh, the, the tool overload has been, you know, like some major concern, particularly when clients will come in and kind of go, I need a senior DevOps developer, full stack, who knows these 15 tools, you know, perfectly. It has to be these, right? And like, you get like, you know, there's a, like a 0.01% chance that I will find, you know, that unicorn and that it will, you know, sort of all line up there. And, and we, we have to often, you know, sort of consult and say, hey, you know, why don't you prioritize these things? Because you're right, like all those things are great tools. Uh, but have you thought about the fact that operationalizing that or maintaining that is going to be a total disaster? <laughs> You know, because right. like, you're, you're just introducing like this, like, let's say each one of those things adds, you know, 5% mm -hmm. more complexity, mm -hmm. but it's compounding. It's not additive. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, you have this change management problem that, you know, like, well, anytime any one of those tools does an update or anything, like you're, you're having, you have a problem there. And um, yeah, I, I totally get it. And also from, there are corollaries to like, you know, marketing technology uh -huh. has yes. gone through it's the same, you know, where you get those logo pictures where it's like, congrats. Now we have 7,500 oh, MarTech. Yes. Sorry for the bad word. <laughs> <laughs> I go there. Right. Yeah. So yeah, totally, uh, totally relatable. And, uh, you know, sometimes it does sound like simplicity, you know, maybe with like the, if it's not the best tool for every part of the job, it's the best collection yes. of tools that kind of gets you from point A to point B. Yes. And, um, you know, there's the whole concept of like the sum is greater than the parts. So, and that's kind of what happened. That's actually why GitLab started on this single application journey. We were version control to begin with, as you know. Um, and then um, um, we have two co-founders, Sid and DZ. And DZ is the person who built the initial GitLab and has been like you know the greatest contributor ever since and he, he's uh, one of the co-founders in the company and so, uh, dz started building out ci and um, one of the community contributors his name is kamil was like oh you know here are some better runners for ci and also by the way you should connect this to your version control and dz was like oh that's weird because you know everybody has sharp tools and like specific products and all that and somehow uh, Kamil convinced him just as like let's give it a try and which is a very fair ask and so then they convinced Sid our CEO that hey let's give it a try even though yes not the Unix philosophy and all that stuff and when they did it we saw it they saw we saw it really work and 
that was when I was like, oh, the sums greater than the parts. You have the same data store. You have like the context um, from a workflow perspective propagated throughout the tool chain. It's like, this is way better than isolated tools. And that's kind of how it went along. And and here we are with a large single application. So I, um, I, I actually totally resonate that there is something about the simplicity and doing things in one place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you, you this when you're, you're kind of out on the road there, you know, sort of evangelizing. I think, you know, one of the things that, that strikes me in this seat is I often have to consume an insane amount of, of media, you know, because I need to read everybody's stuff and I need to, you know, understand who I'm talking to and, you know, articles and, I ought to know the trends because I can't ask questions, you know, because of it. So, you know, I wonder, um, you know, how do you keep up and balance the, the industry media consumption and probably a little bit of, you know, sort of, I don't know, cross-disciplinary macro stuff that you just need to pay attention to the economy and stuff. So I don't know, you know, what's, what's your personal strategy for, you know, not overwhelming the brain on, consumption of articles, blogs, yes. podcasts, yes. Twitter. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, I did a bunch of thinking around this around the new year when I was thinking about resolutions, uh, aspirations and things I wouldn't do. Um, I divided, I divided things up into like, so resolution is something gotta do it. Aspiration is something I'm going to track and try to get to, but it's okay if I don't, you know, nail it because uh, you can't have too many resolutions. And but like you do need to track certain things in your life that you care about. An example for me is dishes in the sink. I really need to stop do it like having them all of the time, but I know it'll I'll fail from time to time. So that's an aspiration. Anyway, and then there are things that like you know just really shouldn't be wasting time on. What I landed on is that. I decided that I'm really not going to invest time in reading long form articles about like political news. And the reason was, first of all, I get the TLDR from Twitter. And second of all, I go down a rabbit hole on a topic that actually I have very little control over. Right. And I want to stay informed, but you know, that was such a, like, I used to always spend so much time just like New Yorker and just like not leaving it and take some time. So that's what happened in like, you know, my, the macro side of things is like, I'll catch up on Twitter, read the headlines, but maybe not the deep dives on the in industry front. Uh, Twitter really is a savior for me. I find out so many things on it. Uh, I particularly love tweet storms and, you know, the threads, uh, because they, te- I feel like they're so communicative and I get so much out of it. Um, and I make sure to like keep my fault, fo- like who I follow is really important for that. Right. So you need to follow the right people. And so when new technologies, like when new things happen, right, like let's say a new project comes to my attention, I'll make sure to follow it. I'll make sure to follow the lead maintainer, that kind of thing. So that gives me a, a touch point. Um, also, so there's this like lightweight way of doing things. So like, for example, when there's podcasts, somebody will like ha- link to the podcast and then, you know, and I'll often listen on like 2x speed uh, and like, you know, jump through it to keep keep abreast. Then there's also the time where you really need to like focus and deep dive. And for me, that ends up being some of the key conferences. So KubeCon uh, Europe, which is coming up May 20th to 25th, is one of like KubeCon in general is one of the big ones where I... I focus on the conference when I'm there. I drink from the fire hose, go to as many talks as I can. Um, att- and also like 
spend time in person speaking with humans who are behind the technologies, right? Uh, and connecting with them, seeing how I can help them. Because frankly, for me, I learn by interacting with people and by doing. So if I'm like, hey, Jaeger Tracing Project, uh, how can I help you? And they say, well, can you look over our case studies? I'll say yes, because guess who's going to learn? me so that's kind of a way like i learned by doing and by engaging so KubeCon's and like you know ozcon's another one and there's a bunch of other events are great ways for me to deep dive and they do a great job i will say of uh, bubbling up the key trends so last year at uh, KubeCon shanghai where i keynoted it was such a great experience i learned uh, about the harbor project so maybe i learned about harbor a day late but i don't think it was a dollar short because there was a keynote on the topic there was like all the people from the harbor team were there we had time to talk to them learn and it was great you know i caught up and felt up to speed so that's kind of how i do it in a nutshell yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but don't you bring back like, I don't know, a million things like brain full? Like, do you have to, I don't know, distill it out? Or do you keep like a personal kind of note system or something? Yes, great question, actually. So something I like to do, and I have to be more consistent with it, I'll be honest, um, is when I go to a conference like this, I, you know, I'm in absorption mode, I try to take notes every night. And then uh, so GitLab, we work in issues and uh, it's all public actually. So anybody can see it. And I'll try to do like an event recap. And uh, there I'll do like the basics like, oh, met this, met that. But then I'll do like my key takeaways section where it, this is opinion, right? This is not like, oh, this is a research thingy. And I'll list, okay, trend one, I noticed this technology was getting really good response from end users. I noticed this one, not so much. Oh, here's this new thing I heard about and here's how I think it impacts. And that tends, it's not like one or two, maybe even like six, seven points usually. And uh, I think it helps people um, stay up to date. And actually combining that from a collective knowledge perspective, uh, our CEO Sid and a bunch of other GitLabers are big on like uh, hacker news and things like that. So Combining my learnings from there and then hearing from those folks on their learnings and the channels they're on, it brings us all to like a really good uh, collective knowledge point. It makes me think that somebody needs to do, you know, sort of a, I don't know, a way that somebody you can track, like what all things do you really read and think about? How do you rate the validity of these? You know, because you can follow 100,000 people on Twitter and, and everything you touch in your news app. Yeah, I'm constantly thinking, well, like as soon as I click this, now I'm going to get a bunch of articles that are related to it. But what am I missing? Because it's algorithmic, you know, and it's like uh, this is the stuff that that keeps me awake. At night, you know, which is, I know I hear silly, you, though, but, but <laughs> over the years, at least the conclusion I came to is there will be things that you miss. It's OK, but surrounding yourself with other people who are also, you know, in, engaged and interested. Like uh, Melissa uh, Smolensky, who runs corporate marketing at GitLab, she and I are really tight. And uh, some I missed something, like I missed the announcement about the Docker vulnerability, for example. And she was talking to me about something and she's like, oh, by the way, did you hear? And I was like, no. And I was like, okay, instantly I'm on it, right? So I think if you have a like a brain trust that, uh, so Sid, Melissa, myself, a bunch of others in the company, uh, and community, we like sort of hang out on la on like Slack and stuff. And that helps. Always you will miss things. And then also, I think a really important factor is to bring your own lens to the learning. So 
every event you go that happens, right? Like Google Next, KubeCon, reInvent, Microsoft Builds, OzCon, everywhere there'll be announcements. It's really important, I think, to do two things. One is what's your own gut on this? Forget the hype because it's the announcer's job to create hype, right? It's literally what they're supposed to do. So you can't be upset about that. But just go to the fundamentals. Do you think this is useful? Do you think this is just a repackaging or do you think there's some value here? And I feel like at least 60% of the time your gut is going to be right. Um, And then the second aspect, which I think is so critical and sometimes the industry kind of misses, we all talk to each other a lot, but really we need to be listening to the end users. We need to be bringing them into the fold more. So I had certain perspectives on multi-cloud serverless, for example, uh, because I was on the team at GitLab that shipped serverless. And the fact, my assumptions were completely checked and questioned when I started interacting with large enterprises who were going heavy on serverless and how they thought about multi-cloud. Like I learned it was very much about they prefer certain clouds for certain workloads, like before they start working on them. Like uh, someone told me they liked doing... um, MLAI workloads on GCP, for instance. And this is one person who told me this. Um, and based on that is the, how they want the like portability and all of that. It's not like they're just like jumping clouds here and there. Uh, and so like these like details, right? When you get involved with like, how are people making decisions? I think that combined with your own sense of like, what's really going on in this announcement can help. Uh, yeah, we see the same thing with with staffing, you know, that, that you can quickly convince yourself of what's, you know, what's a great engineer and what's the best way to do this. And so we have to really challenge ourselves to ask everybody we can, how, what do you value most, you know, in the, in the zeitgeist of engineering. And, uh, you know, I can, I can ask a hundred CTOs and they're all going to give me an opinion and sort of the average opinion, you know, maybe ought to be baked into our, you know, our vetting and process and, and product. But you have to constantly be aware of like, why, why do I care about this thing and how biased am I because of my own experience and what does the customer really want? And, and I challenge everybody say, when was the last time you legitimately talked to five customers of your product in a week? Cause I don't think it's very high, you know, and, and we always, I think we need to not push that down to, you know, account management or what have you, you know, that, that that's really important. And, and all of us ought to just get that perspective. Uh, from time to time. So, okay. So I, I have some really important stuff here. This is the lightning round. Okay. Su- Ooh, okay. Super, super critical. All right. <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Ooh, uh, Star Trek. Oh, okay. I'm, 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 I'm kind of tied. Like since I started this, Pick this hard. is interesting. Pick to me. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. What are you reading right now? Oh, the other end of the leash. It's about dog training. Um, because I just adopted a dog. <laughs> Uh, what can't you live without? My phone. Your phone. Uh, and my dog now. And your dog. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, and speaking of, my dog is trying to chew my footstool. Ollie, no. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what's, what's the last thing you Googled for work? Uh, I just Googled uh, your Twitter handle. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to follow up with you about gun.io. <laughs> that, is, that is the best answer I've ever heard. We will definitely <laughs> be promoting that one. Okay, so I don't know if you're a fan of The Office, right? But there's a classic classic episode of The Office where Jim is screwing around with Dwight like he always does. And he sends 
faxes to Dwight from future Dwight. And he's, and he's messing Sorry. with them, right? And it's just sort of like, oh, the the coffee is poisoned or, you know, different things like that. But that uh, that made me think, right? And I like to ask everybody this. If I gave you one piece of paper, like one of those big, fat, black Sharpies, what are you going to write on the piece of paper if you're future Priyanka and you got to send a fax back like 10 years to past Priyanka? So you mean I'm current Priyanka writing to the past or I That's am right. 10 years yeah. ahead? You, you get to fax right now to your past self. Oh, and do I need to troll myself or am I like genuinely well, trying to be helpful? Some people troll themselves, but you know, most people like to be helpful themselves, but it does, it does show your personality if you immediately thought that. So. <laughs> well, okay. I'll tell you. I would, so 10 years ago was what year was it? 2009. Oh my gosh. I would tell myself to focus on getting on the technical side of things as fast as possible because I started out in actually um, par- partnerships uh, in like Google AdSense. So I would tell myself like, you, oh my gosh, there's so much I need to tell myself. I would say, <laughs> listen, the pro- I did a project with a couple of engineers. I was like PMing it actually just by chance as a 10% project. And, you know, at Google, it was like, like it's very hard to be in product, but somehow it just worked and things were awesome. And there, I actually had an offer on the team table to join the engineering team. And I would tell myself, go take that offer. I know it's crazy, but your future is deeply technical. This is what you love. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Well, thanks for being a good sport. And I, I would say move to, to San Francisco. I would also tell myself <laughs> to move to San Francisco. I was living in Palo Alto. It was really boring. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Priyanka, we could do this all day. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> I do. I I have to just, I have to just go to a sponsor or something. No, I'm kidding. I don't have to do that, but um, (laughs) it's so much, so much fun talking to you. Thank you for, for joining us and, and being on the show today. Thank you so much. I had a really good time. Thanks for listening to the frontier podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.